Hi, and welcome to the third episode of Women in Security podcast.、Um, I'm delighted to present this episode with Jackie Fox, who is the managing director at Accenture.、Um, during this particular episode,、um, during the day of recording, we had a charity cycle in the office. So, unfortunately, there were a lot of background noise being recorded,、um, and the audio file was. A little bit corrupted, so it wasn't the best.、Um, I was a bit hesitant to release this, but I thought, you know what, this is a learning journey、um, for me, and、um, I definitely took away a lot of do's and don'ts from this particular episode.、Um, it's a really good content. I would say perhaps don't listen to this in ear.、Um, put it on when you're at home, when you have a speaker, so that the background sound. Doesn't sort of affect your listening experience a bit too much.、Um, and we have a group page up on LinkedIn. It's called the Women in Security Podcast. Feel free to leave me your comments or let me know if there are any questions that you like me to ask future speakers.、Um, or there's also a function on Anchor. Um, it's one of the apps or platforms that you can listen to. And what I use to record this, Anchor, you, there's an option for you to leave a voice message. So if there are any thoughts or any questions, feel free to leave it over there.、Um, and yeah, help to spread the word. Let your friends, your colleagues know about this podcast.、Um, and I hope you enjoy it. We'll speak soon. Jackie, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Tell us a little bit about your role in Accenture and your plans for the next twelve months. Okay. Well, as you know, I've just joined Accenture,、mm-hmm. and、um, I'm very excited. And they already have a large security practice there. And my brief is to help grow that practice. And so we're we formulated a strategy. And、uh, now I need to bring that to market.、Mm-hmm. And so I'm really looking forward to working with. We've got some new clients and、uh, kind of old friends that I've worked with over the years as well,、um, and、uh, you know, bring a an opinion and advice to people、uh, in Ireland generally on what they should be doing to secure their organisation at the moment and look at what the cyber risks they have are.、So. Exciting times ahead. You're going to、yes. be really busy. Yes, I think、right? so. <laughs> But for a lot of people who are listening. Who don't know? Who are not familiar with Jackie, right? If you can kind of give them a little bit of background into how you got started, your career, where did it all start? What would that be? Okay, well,、um, I suppose as a child, I would always have been very interested in technology. I loved mathematics in school. I also loved art in school,、um, and I like to think that cybersecurity is a blend of those two things for me because there's a technology aspect and there's also an innovation aspect because it's not a mature industry. It still has a lot of room for creativity and innovation in there.、Um, cyber is a very、uh, unusual area because along with technology. There's a lot of areas of policy in there. So if you're interested in tech, but you're also interested in governance and policy and protection,、um, I think there's a lot of scope for all sorts of people in there. And I think it was the the breadth of that 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 made me interested in cybersecurity. So I started off working in the technology area, 
I worked with computer dealers. Um, I was on the first IBM PC training course that was given in Ireland when the IBM PC was launched. And um, I would have worked with hardware. Uh, I would have been going around soldering cables and people's ceilings and networking PCs together. Um, I also worked with software and programming and coding. And I would have done a lot of work with operating systems, um, installing them, administering them, setting them up for people. So I had a lot of different areas that I was interested in in technology. And I began to realize as the world started to get more connected that security was an issue. And so I started getting very interested in, you know, how do I keep this confidential? How do I make sure that no one's corrupting this? How do I make sure that things are available to people when they want them? And I think that started to translate into an interest in security. Mm -hmm. And you took a seven years career break, right? So this was before you went into security full time. I know that you took on a master's in forensics. What prompted that move? Okay, well, there were two things. Well, one is I have five children. So uh, when they were quite young, I really decided that I wanted to spend some time at home with them and get them launched in the world and, you know, just spend time with them. Um, so I really wanted to take a career break to do that. Um, and when they were all safely installed in school, um, other parts of my life dictated that it was a good time for me to go back and do something. And while I had been off work, I still, you know, would have been somebody that my friends and neighbours would have gone, oh, PC's broken, will you have a look at it? Or I still had some involvement with my previous employer, Dell, um, certain projects I had a little bit of a hand in or my kids' schools, I had computerized the library for them. So I was still involved in technology, but maybe not publicly so. So I thought that it was a good time to credentialize the technology work and security work that I had been doing by doing the master's in security and forensics in UCD. Um, and I also wasn't quite sure whether or not it had to go back working or not with five children. So I spent two years doing that master's and absolutely loved it. Uh, really interesting stuff. I loved the thesis topic that I picked. And I had space and time in my life to actually delve into it and do research. I did think about going on and maybe doing a PhD at that point, but um, I decided against it. Uh, somebody from Deloitte approached me and said, would I be interested in coming to work in their security practice? And I thought, mm, this could be a disaster. I may find that I, after week one, I'm going to go, sorry, I don't have the time to do this. But uh, I, I went in and took the role and kind of developed from there. So. Right. And how, how did it feel going back into the workforce after taking a long break? I know you were working in between, you went back to school, but what, was, what were the feelings that you had in the coming weeks to getting back into work? Well, I suppose I was nervous. I was thinking, you know, can I do this still? And, you know, that some of those skills that I've had, thought I had, have I lost them? Have I, you know, am I not sharp anymore? Um, am I going to go in and find that it's all, you know, super kind of skilled and, and uh, you know, energetic and kind of um, maybe even aggressive? I, I, I didn't know what I was going to land into, but actually I didn't land into that at all. Um, when I landed in, my skills were useful. Um, I felt valued in the workplace and uh, I felt I had something to contribute um, but I also had lots of things to learn from the team that I was with as well so um, I landed quickly you know I, I, within a week I was thinking yes I think I've done the right thing wow really good and you mentioned about you know having skill sets that were transferable 
Yes. Right. And this was essentially when you moved into Deloitte, that was the full, first full-fledged security role. Yes. What were some of the skill sets that you had gained from previous roles or even from you know, your personal life, which you thought helped you in the first week to really get up and running quickly? Um, I think the skills that I bought from my previous roles, I had always been in a client-facing role, was that I could listen to people and I could help them solve a problem because people go to consultants when they have a problem or when they think that a problem might happen to them. And um, being able to listen to them to break the problem down into manageable pieces and actually help resolve it uh, definitely came from previous things in my life. And I also think, um, like I quite quickly ended up managing a large group of people. And um, I think managing five children gave me skills to, you know, help people develop, to develop and to learn, you know, to be broader, that it's not all about me or not all about them, but it's about a team working together. Um, so I think both people management, I had really honed that while I was at home with my kids because there's nothing harder than trying to manage a group of young children and, and, and deal with, I don't know, playground fights and other parents and everybody's child being wonderful. And, you know, to actually negotiate all that gave me skills in that area and then my previous technology and kind of client problem solving skills I think I brought to the that's really good to hear because, you know, I think right now there are a lot of women who might have gone on to have kids, started a family, they might be taking a career break. And there's always that fear. How am I getting back into the industry? How will I manage with kids? Or even people like, let's say, like myself, I don't have any kids. I'm not married yet. But those are fears that, you know, I would be thinking of what if one day I'm going to have kids and I have to take a career break. How am I getting back in? But what you just said that kind of helped myself at least look at it from a different perspective, mm -hmm. that you have to look at what you can bring to the table, not what's missing. Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, life doesn't, and career and personal development does not pause because you stop working. You may be focused on different things, but, you know, if you look at key things that employers would look for, they want to make sure that you can work in a team that you can, you know, everybody has a client, whether it's an internal client or an external client, that you can listen to what the requirements are and deliver it. And you can be rest assured if you're working with children and you don't listen to what they want, they will let you know. <laughs> um, and and also, you know, to, to be um, self-contained and to be able to, you know, map your day out and do things. And they're not things that stop when you move out of workplace and go into a home environment. Um, in fact, it's probably more dependent on you in a home environment because you don't have safety nets around you. You know, you are the person who is delivering the childcare, who's delivering the dinner or doing whatever it is you're doing kind of in a home environment. So so I think they're they're skills that you absolutely can bring back into the workplace again. Brilliant. And I know you're also lecturing at UCD at the moment, mm -hmm. right? That's in forensics. Uh, yes, in security. Actually. Security. Yes. Okay. What made you decide to do that because I know you've got a busy schedule. How do you even find time to do that? Okay, well, this is kind of a sad part to that story as to why I started doing that. Actually, um, I did this course, this this uh, masters myself, and uh, sadly, the person who used to run the security module in the course died very suddenly. Oh no! And um, in an August, when they needed to deliver the course in September for all the students that they had signed up. 
So I was speaking to the course manager and between the two of us, we decided that, that I could do this temporarily to help them out. And so initially I went back to help out, but actually I realized when I was doing it that, um, uh, you know, there'd typically be 60 or 80 students on the course. I kind of thought this is actually kind of a community give back because um, that course in UCD is very much designed that they want actual practitioners to deliver it to people. And I, you know, I, I felt that I was able to share some of my experience with the students and the fact that I had done the course as well. So I got the bigger picture of the course too. Um, and I really enjoy, you know, uh, spending time and kind of going in and, and talking to them about security and trying to make it real for people. So um, so my initial reason for starting it was to try and help UCD out of any problem that they, they had. But, but actually, I'm still doing it today because I, I really enjoy it. That's great. And you said the course itself has about 60 to 80 people, right? Yes. Are they mostly from the IT industry today or what's the mix like? Huge variety of backgrounds. Um, I think most of the people on that course have some kind of technology background because it has, well, it has law as one of the modules in it. Um, and then it has a couple of forensics modules and then security modules. So it's a good mix to, you know, generate cybersecurity professionals who are capable of doing investigations. Um, and uh, there's, I would say, 50-50 between uh, people who are living in Ireland, you know, and people who, there's quite a few people do it online as well. Um, and then most people, I think, come from a technology background on it because the forensics aspect is very technical and mm -hmm. um, so it would be not impossible but hard for somebody to come in without a technology background. To them. It's interesting because you're a woman in forensics mm -hmm. and forensics is such a niche industry by itself right when when you are looking at people who are going to the causes today um, even if it's cyber security for example is it a 50-50 mix between men and women at the moment or you know, what's the ratio like and has that changed from when you started lecturing to what it is like today? Um, it's definitely not 50-50. There's definitely more um, men on the course than women. Um, I think it varies year by year, actually. Um, the, I would say maybe 30% women and 70% men. And I don't think I've seen it change that much when I was on the course myself. I think that was about the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you think that would have been because a lot of people that are attending this do come from a technical background and that's just the way that the ratio has been? Do you think that's one of the potential causes? Uh, potentially. Um, yes, I suppose one of the entry criteria, I think, is that somebody has a good technology background. So um, maybe a computer science degree if they are going straight in from undergraduate into it. So, yes, I suppose that, you know, it's, it's not an equal number of people who have the potential to go on the course. And what advice would you give to anyone who's thinking of pursuing a degree? They might not have a technical background, but they're thinking about getting into cybersecurity or forensics type of degree. What's your advice for them? Um, I think they should make a decision, first of all, as to whether they do or do not want to get into the technical side of cybersecurity. And um, there are lots of other sides to cybersecurity that don't require technology background. Um, for example, the regulatory side of it, or the policy side, and also sort of the privacy side, um, you know, leans more towards having a legal background maybe than having a technical background. Um, and uh, I think 
it's quite binary. You either want to be a technologist or you don't, or you feel you have the, you know, the acumen for it or you don't. And I think if you don't, it's better to recognize that up front and go down a path that is suited to your, your skills. Um, for example, if you, you know, feel that you're good in PR, yes, you can do cybersecurity PR, like, but you don't have to be a technologist to do that. But if you want to be a penetration tester or a forensic investigator, then it would be very difficult to be a good one without technology in your background. So if you decide you want to do the technical aspect of it, I would advise people not to go from nothing straight into trying to do that. They should they should do a technical course, first of all, to upskill before they go into it, or they should do something in parallel to studying it so that they can increase their technology skills. Um, but I think you're going to find a lot more courses coming out that that are focused on some of the other sides of, of cybersecurity, maybe risk management or those kind of aspects. Um, so I think you just need to get the skills that you have, that you know you have, and make them fit into an area that works well in cybersecurity. Brilliant. And what do you think are some of the most sought-after skill sets today? Because you're in a hiring manager capacity as well. What do you look for when you're hiring today? Um, for me, I look for three things when I'm hiring somebody into the team. Uh, I want to know that they're a good team player, that they have the uh, technical skills to do whatever it is. And I don't necessarily mean technology skills. It could be regulatory skills, but that they have some either potential to grow in that field or they have proof that they already have skills in that area, depending on what level they're trying to enter the organization. And I also like to see that people have the ability to communicate well with people. Um, because at the end of the day, I work in consulting, so people have to be able to both listen and present information back to other people. Um, if I meet somebody and they have two of those three skills, um, I'm very happy to discuss with somebody about how we could develop the third one. Um, so I don't expect people to always land in fully formed. This is an industry where there are not enough people. And as somebody who works in this industry, I think it's incumbent on everybody to try and expand the workforce. So we can't all just take people from other organizations who have experience. We have to grow people as well. That's great. It's it's such important advice for people who are thinking about getting in. I speak of this myself as a woman, right? When I think of a new challenge, it's always daunting. And perhaps this is just the way that we, the, the genes, I don't know, but if I have 80% of what the role or the challenge requires, I still think I'm not good enough. But my male colleagues, they might be they might be on the same level, but they feel so confident. They're like, I'm going to put my hands up. And they look at me like, why don't you go for it too? You know, and what you just said there is really important for people to just kind of understand that you're never going to have everything. There's something that you can always learn, but it's good to just think of what can you bring to the table. Yes. Right. Sell your expertise on those areas that you're really comfortable with and help the new employer or company understand this is where I'm looking to upscale myself. Right. Um, and it would be a bad thing to take a job where you have 100% of the skills required for the job because where is the challenge in that? What's interesting? What's going to keep you turning up to work every day? And how is that uh, employment or that career piece part of your career? going to interest you it's not you know it's really important that, that you can see a challenge in, in what you're taking on and what you're going to do and I totally agree with you 
there are people in the world and, and, and it does often fall between a male-female bias yeah. or a male-female uh, situation, but not always. But there are people in the world who will go, oh, I can do 80% of that. Fantastic. And there's others who are going, 20% of that I can't do. And I think it's really important um, that senior people who are hiring or who are looking at people around an organization who might transfer from one area to another tap somebody on the shoulder and say, I think you have some of these skills. I think that you have a potential to do this. And equally so, you know, when people are doing performance management, which shouldn't just be an annual thing, it should be, you know, something that you meet people frequently and discuss what are your development areas. And sometimes people hear the word development area and they think bad points. What am I not good at? What am I bad at? But that's not it. It's what what can I develop to be better what you know how can i improve myself and it's a very different view than what am i bad at i think it's important to have that positive aspect so that you are continually asking people and discussing with people what can i do to improve myself to make myself better to give me more to whatever it is i'm doing every day and uh, i'm working on that how can my employer my colleagues help me to to work on these things and if you're ticking every 100 percent of the boxes like it's going to be very boring that's great advice. And I think this is advice that's not just for people who are looking for a job, but people who are hiring. Because I recruit for my day job, right? And I speak to people all the time who are looking for a job or hiring managers who are looking for someone to join the team. And I think it's so important to just remember that what you just said there. If you are looking for someone who fits 100% of what, you, what the role entails, they're not going to be interested. There's no challenge in it. So we need to focus on what do they have that they can bring to the role and where can we um, train them on and how can we help them to develop the, their career. Because in that case, you know, it's a win-win situation. Well, there's Absolutely. value adding. 100%. Now, I do think there's a risk in there too mm-hmm. because sometimes if people overstretch themselves going into a role or oversell themselves, and then they don't perform something that's fundamental for a job, then they are not going to be retained in that job. So I think it's important that people are real as well. Um, And, you know, that any development points they have get honestly called out and worked on, on the basis of that if they don't manage to, you know, to improve in something that might be a fundamental requirement for the job, that their job is at risk. So I think it's important when people move job that they think about that, you know, to go from one solid paid employment to something that's too big a challenge is a bad idea also. And before we started the recording, you said um, the third meeting for you today, you said earlier um, you met up with someone who was asking you for mentorship advice. Have you been doing this for a long time on the outside of work or? Yes, I I do actually. Um, I, I suppose I'm very lucky, I think, in my life that I get to meet so many people as part of the roles that I've had. Um, and I suppose I do a lot of, you know, speaking at conferences and kind of, uh, you know, so I just generally get to know a lot of people. And um, I suppose maybe because I'm a little bit older, a bit more mature myself, people presume that I know things that they don't, which often isn't the case. <laughs> but um, I'm always very happy to meet somebody for a coffee or a chat. So a lot of people who know me would ask me to meet somebody they might know or people just reach out to me anyway. And I'm always very happy to do that. You know, it. It costs me nothing in my week to meet someone for half an hour and have a chat. And, you know, sometimes I have nothing to say to them, but actually when they say out loud what it is that they want to say, they suddenly go, actually, I've solved that problem myself. So sometimes I don't do anything, but sometimes I can ask some probing questions to help people really think about what what they're trying to do or what the next move is. 
And of all the people that you've met or mentored, even just for a 30 minutes coffee, what was the most common fear or concern that they had? Um, I think people like to be valued. Um, people like to feel that their skills that they have, that they're using them, and that they're, people they're working for recognize that and value them. Um, and I think sometimes people come to me and say, I'm either not using my skills properly or I think I'm working very hard, but I don't feel valued at the moment. And I think there are two very strong areas that would suggest to people that you know they need to expand. And it doesn't mean you need to leave your employer to do that, you know, but to expand as a person, you know, that they need to really think about what it is that's going to give them satisfaction in their working life. Because we do spend a lot of our waking hours in our working life um, and if you really enjoy your job, which I'm fortunate that I do, then it doesn't feel like that. Great. And you mentioned earlier about being involved in a lot of initiatives, speaking at conferences. Um, recently, we met again at Cyber Ireland launch, um, which you're a vice chair for. Can you tell us a little bit more about this initiative? Yeah, sure. Um, the IDA um, in Ireland have um, set up a board to help develop the cybersecurity industry in Ireland. Um, so they have asked um, eight people from industry, three people from academia, and three people from government to sit on this board together. And um, basically, we have been tasked with putting up a strategy and uh, looking at the skills and resources in Ireland, how we can um, develop new startups in Ireland, how we can get foreign direct investment in, um, and basically how we can make the whole ecosystem work well in Ireland so that... Uh, the academic bodies are set to train and develop the right number of people and the right types of people that industry want to consume and that industry um, are developing their people and allowing kind of startups to happen and you know basically also to make this a secure and safe country that we live in so that when we require things from the government or when messages need to be sent to the government that this is a body that people can do that through which has the strength and the ear of the government as well. And so for me, it's a very exciting initiative. I really believe that Ireland, um, uh, along with the help of bodies like, like Cyber Ireland Cluster, um, can be a really good hub for cybersecurity in Europe. Um, I think we've got a lot of connections with the US. And we've got a very highly educated workforce. And we've got a lot of things going for us in this space. We already have a huge technology industry. We already have a really good cybersecurity, healthy industry here. So we have an opportunity to really get this right and capitalise on it as a country. Um, and I'm hoping that the Cyber Ireland Initiative is really going to help that. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be involved in it. Yeah, this is really, really exciting times. I think, you know, in the last 12 months that I've been in Ireland myself, I've seen so many new initiatives. There's more and more investment and focus into what um, cybersecurity looks like in Ireland, mm -hmm. right? At the research colloquium recently at UCD, where we met again, yes. um, they, that's you know, there was a lot of talk over there about how cybersecurity talents in Ireland are really strong, yes. but Ireland as a country, as a nation, isn't quite recognized yet for yes. cybersecurity. And hopefully with initiatives such as Cyber Ireland, it's really going to help put us on the map. I'd like to think that we're already on the map, being honest with you, because like we have like kind of maybe a hundred cybersecurity kind of specialist organizations in Ireland at the moment, which is a lot given mm -hmm. the size of our country. We have been fortunate that we have so many of the technology giants here. They need to be secured. 
and um, I think we just have a really good reputation in the space, you know. So I, I think it's about capturing more of it rather than getting an initial kind of recognition for it. Brilliant. And um, one of the things that I've noticed as well is when when I go to conferences or I've seen some of the um, events that you've been in, you're often the only women on the panel. How do you feel about it? And, and you know, do you see this changing in the short term? Um, it's true. Um, I I am often the only woman on the panel, and, and I, I I view it two ways. Uh, one is I know sometimes I probably get more than my fair share of invites because I'm a woman who's prepared to get up and speak. Um, but I don't have a problem with that, given the nature of my role and the job that I do. But secondly, I view that being a woman on the panel, that other women who are sitting in the audience are going to say, well, if she can do it, I can do it. The, uh, and I very deliberately um, try to get other women to come and speak at things as well and encourage them. Uh, and there's quite a few women in Ireland who'd say, who, if they were listening to this, would be saying, yeah, that's me. The, uh, so I, I really try to expand the field the, of women who are prepared to speak about security and, and uh, forensics and, and topics like that. And how do you, I think I've asked you this a few times, but how do you even find time to manage all this schedule? How do you manage the stress of just trying to be involved in different things but at the same time have enough quality time for your family for your five kids okay well um i suppose i i'm always busy um i'm very rarely somebody who sits down and does nothing for a couple of hours and occasionally i just kind of fall over but <laughs> but in general i'm somebody who's always on the go um i i think if my children were very young at the moment i probably wouldn't be able to keep the pace that i go at um, but they're a little bit older. They're like my youngest two are in secondary school, um, and they stay in night study till nine o'clock at night. You know, so um, I have time to spend on kind of career things, and then I see them at weekends and the evenings. The uh, and my girls are a little older, two of them in college, one is working. Um, so I like I always they're my priority at the end of the day. So I do always have time for them. Um, but the other things I suppose you know I. Even when I have quiet time, I'm always busy. The, like I would often be doing so many things in the day, my diary would be back to back with happening appointments. But I like it like that. I enjoy that, um, and I do recognise when I need to take time to think about something, and I'll block that off in my diary as well. So I do have to be very organised, but I'm generally quite good at fitting things in. And when I know I've too much, I'll delegate and bring other people in on board with me, and you know, work with them. So sometimes it's a bit of a mess. And are any of your kids in the same um, sort of career path as yourself in IT or cybersecurity? My eldest daughter did engineering in college and uh, she's currently doing a master's in artificial intelligence. So oh. I think, yeah, she's kind of in that kind of path. Next one down is a lawyer. I don't know what happened to her. <laughs> and, um, then the next one down is doing financial maths. So quite a, quite a similar kind of ilk. And I don't know what my boys will do, but um, I think one of them will probably do technology and one of them will do business, actually. So yeah. I think out of the five of them, yeah. it's probably a genetic bent towards technology. <laughs> which, yes, That's a good percentage there yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and um, if there's one thing that you want to be remembered for, what would that be? Ooh, that's a really difficult question. <laughs> I don't know. I've never really thought about that. A legacy. Um, I suppose... 
I would like to make a genuine difference to the cybersecurity industry, um, particularly in Ireland. Um, I would like to see more people entering it, uh, it working well for people. I would like to have people who work for me enjoy their lives. You know, I want my kids to be happy and all that sort of thing. So I don't know, that's probably a really bad answer, but um, I never really thought of it. But, like yeah. but you know, that that's something, because I think the other questions you've been asked before, mm-hmm. so you know roughly what to expect, but this is what is, you know, interesting. You, you don't know, like every day, the days pass by so quickly, right? Everything that we do, every decision that we make in a day shapes the next day. And three months down the road, when you look back, those three months, the things that you've done in those sing- single days leading up to that makes all the difference. And I think, you know, I'm really excited for what's to come um, in your new role in the next 12, 18 months um, for the landscape in Ireland as well. Um, is there any parting advice or anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? I suppose um, something that I would usually say when I'm speaking to somebody if they ask me for career advice and also to my kids is you need to be true to yourself. You need to be honest about who you are and what you want to achieve with your life and do it. And, you know, Even if people are saying to you, no, that's a bad idea, you're never going to make money at that or, you know, that's... It's, that's not the reason that people get up out of bed in the morning, you know, that, that you need to try and do something that you're passionate about, do what you are, um, and be true to yourself. And, you know, I learn more and more as I get older that it's okay to be who you are, that, you know, if people like you for who you are, great, and if they don't, then there's no point in having somebody like something that isn't you anyway. They, uh, and so we all want people to like us, and we all want to be happy, and... Um, you know, I think doing things that you enjoy and things that you probably will be naturally good at because you enjoy them is what you should do with your life. And happiness follows that. Like happiness to me is a decision. You, know, you can decide to be happy and make things work for you in your life and take the knocks and absorb them and go, okay, well, maybe that didn't work out how I wanted it to, but the next thing will. They, uh, so absorb your failures, learn from them and move on try and do good things for you and people around you. Great advice over there. Thank you so much for your time today, Jackie. Okay, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Women in Security podcast brought to you by Morgan McKinley. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. My name is Leif and Tan and we'll chat soon.